Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to Forbidden Knowledge News. I'm your host, Chris Matthew. Tonight, my guest is Trey Hudson. Before I bring him on, I want to remind you that you can always get new regular episodes free on Rockfin, Odyssey, and all popular podcast platforms. Check us out on Rockfin. It's where you get all our premium content, our regular shows, and all the premium content from all of the amazing creators on Rockfin. Finally, if you are reaching that gray hair stage in life, definitely check out C60 Purple Power. It may be the most powerful antioxidant known to man. I've been taking it for a little over a year, and I feel amazing. You can even get C60 for your pets. Check out their website. See what they have to offer. Just click the link in the description, and you can get 10% off your order plus free shipping. Tonight, I want to welcome to the show Trey Hudson. He is the director of the Oxford Paranormal Society and its Anomalous Studies and Observation Group. He is an Eagle Scout and former Army Intelligence Officer. He has a psychology degree from the University of West Georgia, where he studied under the likes of Dr. Bill Roll and other luminaries. He has a 30-plus year career as a U.S. government security specialist, specializing in security of sensitive assets, anti-terrorism, security of WMD, emergency management, and other specialties. Trey, welcome. How are you doing tonight? I'm great, great. Thanks for having me here. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I had a great time at the conference meeting you. Uh, last month, you had an extraordinary presentation, which we're going to be discussing a bit today. It's basically about an undisclosed location in the southern United States that you and a team have been investigating, right? Oh, yes, sir. We've uh, we've been looking at it since about 2016. And, you know, over the past few years, we've... Uh, We've encountered all kinds of weird stuff. Basically, you know, we've run the table on high strangeness. And the the, the level of high strangeness and the variety of high strangeness, uh, you know, kind of brings to mind a certain strange place out in Utah that, you know, a lot of people are talking about these days. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Skinwalker Ranch. Um, but like I said, man, the, the conference was great, and it was really cool. And we're about to leave to go out one night to the uh, Night Vision Sky Watch. And the tour guide is telling everybody the rules and how to share their goggles. And you and your colleagues say, it's okay, we got our own. And I'm looking like, all right, <laughs> these guys are legit. Let's do this. So, yeah, it was, it was a great time. And you have a very interesting background. And I figured since it's your first time on the show, I'd love to hear about what got you interested in the paranormal in general and what ultimately led you to get involved with researching it. That's a good question. Uh, I'm a child of the 70s. And... During the 70s, during my informative years, for better or worse, uh, there were some really neat documentary TV shows on that had to do with uh, the paranormal and other kinds of uh, Fortean, uh, you know, things. Uh, the, the one that comes to mind was the In Search Of with Leonard Nimoy, a, a great TV show. And so there I was, you know, a young little maladaptive sponge just waiting to soak up something. And here comes, you know, In Search Of. So I, I, I ate this stuff up. I loved it. Uh, I was extremely interested in it. Uh, I found it intriguing. I found it mysterious. And, you know, I was hoping that maybe someday if I was really lucky, you know, I might to get, get to look at some of this stuff myself, you know, and, and here I am. Uh, and there was also another show on that was really cool, which was called Project UFO, which was a dramatization of the uh, Project Blue Book files. And it was uh, highly fictionalized, but was very interesting, too. And then you started seeing a lot of the, uh, the books start coming out in the late 70s. Uh, you know, that had to do with UFOs, UFO abductions, Bud Hopkins, you know, and, and a lot of that stuff started coming out. So I was, I was really, really interested in it and, uh, you know, read what I, what I could. And also back in the 70s, my, uh, my father was a traveling contractor. He built large projects all over the country. And that being the case, he would often travel at night going from one place to another. And one evening, he heard a radio show. And on this radio show, they were uh, interviewing an author about his new book. Well, it turns out that author was Brad Steiger. And the book was The Gods of Aquarius. And uh, he bought that book and had it shipped to the house. And he read it and then passed it on to me. And, uh, you know, like I said, like a, a weird little sponge, I just devoured all of that and really, you know, enjoyed the way Mr. Steiger looked at some of this stuff that was going on and uh, years went by and I actually was able to uh, acquire an autographed copy of that book for my own library. Uh, so, you know, that kind of primed the pump, if you will. And then I went off to a uh, university and I attended a, a university that is well known for its humanistic and transpersonal psychology department. That was what my uh, field of study was, was psychology with a minor in anthropology. And there I had the opportunity to st study under people like Bill Roll, the famous parapsychologist, uh, Don Rice, uh, Mike Ahrens, who was a student of uh, Abraham Maslow. You know, some of these really, you know, well-known, you know, very high-powered uh, uh, psychologists. And I ended up being uh, branched as uh, an Army Intelligence Officer and I uh, was commissioned. I was trained at the U.S. Army Intelligence Center in school there in Fort Huachuca, Arizona, and came back and went into the U.S. Army Reserves as an intelligence officer and uh, had an injury, uh, ended my military career. So I went to go work for the Department of Defense, kind of doing the same thing. And like a lot of things, life gets in the way of living. 
you know, we just don't have the time to do what we want to do. You know, starting a career, starting a family, kids and all of that. In 2008, I discovered a local paranormal group uh, here in this little area where I'm at and uh, applied and was accepted, you know, much to my chagrin and did a lot of uh, standard paranormal investigations and the founders of the group uh, felt like they needed to step away, you know, have a little bit of a breathing room, a little more personal time. And they handed this paranormal investigative group over to me. It just gave me this whole, this whole organization. Uh, a few years later, the, the standard haunted house requests, you know, queries, requests for investigation started to really dry up. So I decided I would cast a wider net. I would start looking in places other than haunted houses and haunted stores and things like that. And I stumbled across something really remarkable in my quest to expand my horizons. And that's what eventually turned into the Meadow Project. That is so awesome. Now, um, for the audience, the Meadow is a completely undisclosed location, and you probably don't have any plans on disclosing where it is anytime soon, right? That's correct. And I'm going to go ahead and issue an apology here. Uh, that was a decision that I, I did not take lightly. Uh, I really thought about it when I wrote the book. And I looked at some other areas of high strangeness throughout the country that have been disclosed. And these areas have absolutely been mobbed by curiosity seekers. Now, they've also been the subject of some serious researchers, but they've also been mobbed by people you know, looking for a quick thrill. And that makes it almost impossible for the real researchers to do their work. So I do disclose the location to, uh, to other researchers. Uh, there's a talk to a well-known researcher, a couple of well-known researchers this week who know the location. Uh, but I'm not going to throw it out there to the general public because I think this area is so unique uh, and is so powerful that it deserves an opportunity for us to study it absolutely as long as we can without any encumbrances or any uh, distractions or uh, you know any, dis any distractions or difficulties. Yeah, and I can completely respect that. Um, in fact, I think that that's actually a good idea until you can get maybe a better grasp or at least a somewhat of an idea of what could be going on there, um, you know, just to rule out any dangers or anything like that. But um, could you give us any details at all about how you came of across the location, about how you found it? Um, did, you, uh, did someone clue you in on it or anything like that? Well, that's a great question. Uh one thing I am absolutely pleased to disclose are our experiences. That, that's the world's story. That's not my story. That belongs out there for people to look at and ponder and perhaps be enlightened themselves. How did we come across this? I talked about how we uh, started to see a downtick in standard haunted house calls. So I decided I would start looking elsewhere and start digging into folklore. And one thing as a paranormal investigator, and I am primarily a paranormal investigator, uh, I've kind of stumbled into ufology and eventually became a, a field investigator for MUFON, but primarily my roots are as a, a paranormal investigator. And what we do is follow the folklore. You know, look at the folklore. What, you know, is there some uh, stake that's causing that sizzle? Is there a little bit of flame causing that smoke? And I found some folklore. Uh, about a haunted road in this area where the meadow is. 
And, uh, you know, the locals would say, you know, don't go down this haunted road. The ghost will come out at night and scratch the side of your vehicle. And, you know, people have gone insane there. Don't ever go down there at night. Well, that's like waving a red flag in front of a bull. So where do you think I'm going to go? Hell yeah, I'm going to go there. So uh, I uh, finally was able to get some people to go me go with me uh, one weekend. One of the individuals you met was uh, Bob Wilson, who was uh, known from the uh, TV show uh, Bigfoot is Real. Uh, he's a, uh, a friend of mine and fellow researcher, and uh, we went to this location, and a team member and I went down to the Haunted Road. Bob stayed back at base camp. We had just randomly picked somewhere to set up base camp, and uh, my other research partner, Daryl, and I went to this Haunted Road, and we didn't see doodly, nothing. All we did was get cold and wet, but guess what we found when we came back to base camp? Bob had had a unique UFO experience is uh, he had been sitting at base camp. It was a, a cold winter night uh, drinking coffee and, you know, pondering his existence and thinking about the world. And as so often happens when one has too much coffee, you have to do something with that ex excess coffee. So he got up and stepped behind the tents and was taking care of, you know, his uh, personal business. And he's looking up and, you know, kind of feeling sorry for himself about the drizzly, icky evening. And he saw a bolt of lightning come down, a white beam or a yellow beam come down and hit the ground, you know, several hundred yards in front of him. And he's like, oh, my goodness, the storm is going to get worse. And then the moon came out and then his demeanor changed. Well, perhaps the clouds are clearing. It's going to be a nice weekend after all. And he's thinking about his good fortune and the clearing weather looking up at the moon, and then it starts to move sideways from right to left. Now, I don't know about what part of the country you're from, but in this neck of the woods down here in the south, the moon doesn't move sideways unless you've had some moon shine, and then maybe it, it, it will, but I, you know, Bob was absolutely sober this evening. That's a joke. Y'all can laugh at that out there in your in, uh, radio land. Uh, so Bob's watching this moon uh, traverse from right to left. It goes a, uh, a short distance and it stops and then it's hanging in the sky in its new location. And a very small dot appears in the middle of the moon. And then it gets larger and larger and larger, like the iris of a, of a camera, you know, filling up this, uh, this, this moon. So all that he's left with is a circle of light, like the uh, uh, necklace of diamonds effect during an eclipse. And then it winks out. So after that, uh, we decided there's something unique about this location. And we're like, yeah, forget about that haunted road business. You know, we're not going to waste our time here. Something's going on here that's really cool. And we decided that that should be the, uh, the location of uh, future investigations, which it turns out that was a, a really, really, really good decision. Uh, we went back a few months later and decided that we were going to kind of scope that area out and see if we could find some areas that would be set up really, uh, really good for research. And we found about a quarter of a mile from our base camp, a big field, a meadow, a clearing. Imagine a pristine mountain, you know, meadow, very beautiful, very pristine. And it, it really appealed to us for several reasons. Number one, is it being a big open space if anything moved from it, like a cryptid, you know, Bigfoot, Sasquatch, anything moved through it, we could track it. We could see its imprints across the grass, you know, in this meadow. Uh, number two, at night, we can set up on the uh, periphery of it 
with a, with our equipment, and you, you've got to experience some of the equipment we have, uh, and anything moving across that open space, we would be able to detect and record. Now, item number three is uh, to the south of it is a, a high ridge, and we would be able to have people up on this high ridge looking down into the meadow, and once again, they would be able to see anything moving through it. So we thought this would just be a really good place for us to set up and do our research. And uh, so that's what we decided to do. And it just gets you know stranger and weirder and more bizarre from there. Right now, for the audience, could you talk about some of the equipment that you that you brought with you to use there? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, we we try to bring quite a bit of equipment. Uh, sometimes you know with a little too much, you have to decide what uh, you know what to take out with us, but. You know, there's different phenomenologies that you can detect, and you have to kind of narrow it down uh, on what you're trying to uh, to look for. Some of the main things we use is uh, these wonderful devices that everybody has on their hip right now. It's called a smartphone, and it has a camera, a video camera, and a tape recorder or a uh, digital recorder. Wonderful piece of equipment. So we all usually use, you know, have that with us to do audio recordings and things like that. We can also record still photographs or video during the day. At night, we use uh, night vision cameras with IR capabilities. We use uh, FLIR thermal scopes, which detect heat signatures, which have turned out to be probably the most valuable piece of equipment we've used. And then we also use various uh, types of night vision equipment, like you, you got to play with uh, last month, uh, the uh, ANPVS-7 night vision goggles, and also the uh, Psyonix uh, digital night vision uh, scope and video camera. Yeah, those are so, great. And we carry, uh, you know, those are more of our detection equipment. And then we take uh, other devices to measure empirical things, uh, tri-field meters. You know, we like the, uh, the uh, TR2 tri-field meter is a really good piece of equipment. We also carry Geiger counters because we've had some uh, really weird uh, radiation anomalies uh, in this area during our research, which as it turns out, uh, little tiny radiation spikes are starting to be recorded and I'm hearing about other areas of high strangeness. So uh, that's just some of the, uh, you know, some of the things that we take out with us. And I'm sure that, you know, your, your military background gives you a, a unique perspective and, you know, um, idea of what to bring and um, what to do equipment wise and safety wise, right? Yeah, we, uh, we run our operations like a military operation. And it's not that we're a military or paramilitary thing. It's just that, you know, the military way of running these kind of operations in the wood works. You know, you know, you have a definitive chain of command. You have uh, teams with assigned tasks. You have a uh, radio net control. You know, everybody has radio communications. Nobody moves without permission. Everybody knows what their job is. And just as important, they know what the job of their adjacent teams are. So it works for us. And before we go out, we publish a uh, operations order, like a military op order. So everybody's very clear on what the goals for the weekend are. And it, it seems to have worked pretty well for us. Now, um, when it comes to some of the high strangeness that occurs in that area, uh, like you were saying earlier, it's very similar to locations like Skinwalker Ranch. Um, but, uh, you know, from some of the, the things that I've heard about and that you've talked about in your presentation and that I've seen from your presentation, man, this place is spectacular. It has uh, portals, Bigfoots, UFOs, anomalous lights, all kinds of spectacular stuff. Now, we, we talked about your first kind of experience whenever you got there. Um, and 
you, we also, you and I discussed along with your presentation that you've had some electromagnetic anomalies, some equipment malfunctions, things of that, that nature. Was that some of the first things that you really kind of started noticing? We, uh, yeah, I mean, we have problems with equipment. It's, it's like all of these locations is you will have a piece of equipment that is functioning perfectly. Like uh, one of the last few times we went out about eight months ago, I had a, a night vision camera, worked fine, batteries were charged, worked in camp before I left, hiked out to the meadow, couldn't get it to do squat, wouldn't turn on, wouldn't stay on, wouldn't record, thought that I'm going to have to send this thing back, uh, got back to camp, worked perfectly. I just sent a drone back that got zapped, uh, having to send it back. Uh, uh, Bob Wilson, the gentleman you met, had to send his drone back. So yeah, equipment failures and uh, anomalies are really common uh, in this area. But some of the, the, the first thing that really struck us, that really cemented this as being other than just a, an interesting outing, was missing time. You know, we, we, we hit a home run our first trip out in July of 2016. And it just got stranger from there. Could you tell us a little bit about that missing time incident? Yeah, absolutely. It was, uh, it was in July of 2016, and we were setting up our operations kind of like I described. We had uh, several teams in the meadow itself equipped with uh, night vision equipment and uh, FLIR thermal scopes. And we decided that we would have an individual uh, walk along the top of the ridge to the south. And the idea was, as this individual uh, was running this ridge, if there was anything up there, perhaps he could drive it down into the meadow, into that open space, and we would be able to see it and record it. Uh, so that's what we decided to do. We, our team set up in the meadow, uh, turned our equipment on, we're scanning, scoping, looking around, radioed back to the individual that uh, it was okay for him to go ahead and start moving along the top of the ridge. Uh, well, the next thing we know, he radios back to us and said he reached a well-known landmark, and he didn't remember how he got there. And he said, I, I'm here at, you know, the, the branch across the trail, and we all knew where that was, and he said, I, I don't know how I got here. I don't remember getting here. And so the first thing is, you know, you try to find a rational explanation. You know, did he fall, you know, and hit his head? You know, is he uh, concussed in some way? Is he having some sort of epileptic episode? Is he having a stroke? So we have several paramedics on our team, which quickly got on the radio and they did a, uh, a remote assessment. They said, you know, can you feel both your hands? You know, can, can you stand? Are you dizzy? You know, does your head hurt? And all of those were uh, replied with a negative. No, I just don't remember getting here. Well, you know, we wrote it off to, you know, maybe he was daydreaming like we do when we're driving to work and we drive into the parking lot and don't know how we got there. Perhaps that's what happened. Well, it gets a little stranger than that. Uh, as he moved across the top of the ridge, he dropped down to the west side of the meadow without incident. He started working his way back towards one of our teams. And they brought their FLIR scope up and they see his man-shaped heat signature in the equipment. They radioed to him, him and they, he replied, yes, that's him. He's moving across the meadow. He said, I'm coming your way. And as they're watching him on FLIR, he turns into a ball of energy. His heat signature turns into a sphere and moves several hundred yards in a few seconds and then turns back into a man-shaped heat signature. They quickly get on the radio. This is the same gentleman that had the missing time. 
and say, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, I'm fine. Why? And they're watching him. They see him bring the radio up to his face and bring it down. And they said, are you sure you're fine? Yes, I'm perfectly fine. Why? Well, maybe you should come over and talk to us. Uh, yeah, why don't you just come on over here, you know, right now, and we'll, we'll discuss this. Now, the two gentlemen that witnessed this, a little bit about their backgrounds. One, uh, one gentleman uh, is a graduate of the Georgia Institute of Technology, one of the top technical universities in the nation, uh, also has a master's degree. Uh, he has an NCAA uh, football champion ring, you know, so he's, you know, he's a pretty grounded guy. The other gentleman was a, U, a former U.S. Army Ranger that served with the Ranger Regiment in Special Operations, has a physics degree and philosophy degree from Georgia Tech. So these are some pretty serious fellows, uh, you know, much, much more grounded and serious than, than I am. They both saw this. He came over, spoke to them, and they said, what did you experience? You turned into a ball of energy. He goes, I didn't, nothing happened to me. I'm just walking along you know, like normal. Why, what did happen to you? And they said, well, we saw you turn into a ball of energy. And he goes, well, that's a bunch of crap because I was just walking along like I normally do. And to this day, we argue about it on who had the altered perception, whose right. world changed. Was it the guy walking or was it the guys observing? Is it the subject or is it the observer? So you start getting into all kind of quantum weirdness there, you know, with observer and observed. But uh, we never have figured out exactly uh, what went on, you know, that particular time. Uh, and you've never so, been able to recreate or attempt to recreate any of it? No, we've, we, you know, we've tried. Uh, the closest thing that's happened is when we uh, had the portal experience. Right, So we yeah. were able to record that. But uh, so, you know, we continued to investigate. Nothing else anomalous happened that evening. So we, we packed it up and went back for the, uh, for the night. The next morning, the gentleman who... Uh, turned into the ball of energy and also had the missing time came up to us uh, that morning while we were cooking our breakfast with his GPS. And to give you some of his background, uh, he is a retired law enforcement officer, spent many, many years doing uh, backcountry search and rescue in California, like the kind of search and rescue where they would helicopter him and a search dog out into the boonies, drop them off. They would find, you know, a lost hiker, a body, whatever. They would helicopter the, uh, victim back and he would have to make his way back. So a lot of experience in the woods. So he always carries a GPS that's always recording his track, you know, sit dropping breadcrumbs, you know, electronic breadcrumbs. So he comes and he shows us his GPS. And he says, I want you to look at this. He goes, look at my tracks from last night. And as we were looking at his tracks, some things became very obvious. And those things as they became very obvious, they became very unusual. Specifically, he had a number of straight track lines, straight lines, two to four kilometers, point A to point B, point B to point C, point C to point D. You cannot travel on this terrain in a straight line, either by foot nor by vehicle. You just can't do it. There aren't, the, aren't enough roads, and it's too rugged. So the question is, how can a person travel over terrain that's too difficult to travel on foot or by vehicle, travel over in a straight line? That's insane. In the air. Wow. It's in the, in the air. Yeah. So, you know, of course, we were just, you know, dumbfounded. You know, this, this was just, wow, this is like our first serious trip out of here, and we've already, you know, won the World Series, you know, <laughs> and pack it up and go, go home, you know. We, and uh, so we're like, okay, you know, when you get back, 
you know, download your information, send it to us so we can do a really in-depth analysis of it, these track lines. And like happens in this place so often is by the time he got home, everything was erased off of the GPS. Oh, there was man. nothing there. But the cool thing is we had a, several witnesses and, uh, with aff that will sign affidavits that they saw these track lines on his GPS. Uh, we man. also, uh, as we were coming back that night, uh, backing up a little bit, our base camp operator uh, got on the radio and he said, you know, hey guys, I, I see y'all are coming back into camp. Why are you coming over the top of the ridge and not the trail down by the creek? I can see your green headlamps. And why are you holding your headlamps up above your heads? That doesn't make any sense. And it's like, Glenn, we're still in the meadow. Why are you asking? He goes, I see these green lights up on top of the ridge and they look to be about 20 or 30 feet off the ground like dude i don't know what you're talking about that's not us you go back and you look at the history of this area and orbs strange lights in the forest are all over the place i mean it's just that weird area and later that night about two oh uh, two hundred hours he got up to uh, relieve himself glenn our base camp operator and he saw a white humanoid type figure about 40 yards from camp peeking at us and watching us from the side of a tree and he went to wake up another team member to get her up with her uh, her FLIR to see if they could uh, figure out what this thing was. And by the time she got up and got her equipment into operation, it was gone. The folklore of this area talks about a white humanoid figure that's been recorded all the way back to the, the 20s. So, you know, all of these things that are you know part of the folklore of this are all starting to ring true. And this was just your first night. This is like paranormal yeah. Disneyland. Oh, yeah, it was... Uh, yeah, so like I said, you know, we, we felt like we'd won the World Series. And yeah. that, that, was, that was not even remotely the strangest right. uh, trip we had. Oh, man, yeah. Uh, that is, that's awesome. And some of the, uh, some of the other presentations that, that were held the same day as yours, it was pretty much like a, a high strangest day. The, the Blind Frog Ranch was talked about, uh, Colorado Ranch, um, all these other uh, places near uh, Uinta Basin, Skin, Skinwalker Ranch. Um, so it seems like a lot of these places have overlapping events. Uh, from from the presentations that I've heard, it was pretty amazing. Um, some of the Bigfoot creatures were the same. Uh, I heard Katie Gerboski from the Colorado Ranch talking about white fuzzies. There were also white fuzzies at your location. There was white Absolutely. fuzzies at another location. Uh, for the audience, explain what the white fuzzies were. These were like a strange Bigfoot type thing, right? You know, they were described as a white, hairy, humanoid figure. Uh, take that what it is you know a white a white figure seen in the woods you know to a cryptologist would be a bigfoot a white figure seen in the woods to a ufo researcher would be a uh, entity or an alien a, a white humanoid figure seen in the woods by a paranormal researcher would be a ghost so we'll just say white humanoid figure seen in the woods and whatever label with Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Or box you want to put those in. I'm going to leave that up to your audience. Right. But all of these, are not all of these locations, but several of these locations have these humanoid figures. And we had some other really unique uh, similarities uh, in these places. Yes, one of them I do want to get to actually is the Black Cube. Uh, This is really fascinating. Now, um, it was slightly different than the one that Katie was describing that she saw. But uh, for our audience, explain the, the, the Black Cube incident that you had at your location. Yeah, that was uh, that was in February of 2017. Uh, We've had really good luck during the winter time in this location because of the vegetation is dead. We can see further. Uh, We don't have perhaps people coming around or hiking. This is a uh, this is on public land. Uh, So we have the, the location a little bit to ourselves better in the winter. And this was in February of 2017. Uh, we set up the same way. You know, we had several teams down in the uh, down in the meadow with their equipment, and this time we weren't going to send an individual on the top of the ridge because we found out sometimes weird stuff happens when you're by yourself. So we we sent a team this time, and the uh, the team uh, once they reached the west end of the meadow on the uh, the trail to the south and started to drop down, they noticed a a heat signature. The heat signature was about six foot tall about 24 inches wide, a single heat signature that went from a single heat signature to a small short signature back up to a single signature and then split into two. And I don't know if you were in there when I showed that video or not. It was really weird. So, uh, yes. you know, we, we quickly radioed, you know, who's down there? Nobody was in that part of the meadow. All teams were accounted for. So it's like, all right. The, you know, as Sherlock Holmes used to say, the game is afoot. So, uh, you know, we were geeked out about that, went down into the meadow uh, to see if we could find these figures, got a radio call from our, uh, our one team set up primarily in the middle of the area. And they said, hey, come on over here. We have something really strange that's popping up on our FLIR. And what they were seeing uh, was a box or a cube that was about 10 meters by six meters by six meters, this big box. And by the time we could get over there, it started to fade. You know, it was very clear. And by the time they were able to hit record on their FLIR, you don't run the record all the time because it'll eat up the battery life. It started to dissipate. But we decided we were going to go ahead and dispatch a team over to where this thing was. And as we dispatched our team over there, they came to the area, the residual area where this, this cube or this box was, and they disappeared. They dropped off the FLIR. They completely disappeared. They were gone. It was so startling that the FLIR operator said, did they just disappear? I was literally on the edge of my seat to this part. Like, what What just happened? What just happened? And, uh, yeah, it was, it was totally bizarre. And the area, uh, 
and we have footage of it during the day, is you can't hide in there. The vegetation's not thick enough. You can't, you know, mask yourself from the FLIR. You can see all the way to the top of the ridge during the wintertime. But yet the, our team members disappeared. And they described it when they went into this area, this, uh, this residual area, it's almost as though they were walking into a, a darkened room, like something like with black velvet or black felt hanging down. It was very dark, cold. And when they went into it, they didn't have any kind of encumbrances. They didn't have any briars, any sticker bushes, any brambles, any vines. Just walk right into it. And when they got done doing their real quick assessment and they started to come out, then they started encountering some of these uh, these brambles and stuff on their way out that weren't there when they went in. So it's almost like something about that that area had changed. It's like it was somewhere else for a very short period of time that they had walked into. About the time they started to come out of the cube, uh, one of the FLIR operators turns to her right and moves her equipment over the right. And she says, who or what is that? And two heat signatures, six foot tall, 24 inches in width, are watching us from a nearby copse of trees about 40 yards away. And they too disappeared. We quickly got on our radios and no teams were in that area. That's insane. Now, um, eventually your, your team pops back into, into view, right? Yes. Yeah. And how, how far away was it from where they initially entered into the, the cube area? As far from the uh, point, uh, the, the FLIR operators, it was probably yes. 40, 50, 60 yards. I mean, it was That's a good amazing. distance. It, yeah. it wasn't, wasn't super, super close. Now, were you able to take any type of readings uh, while you, you, your team, while they were in there, any type of like uh, radiation readings or anything like that? Uh, we had not started carrying Geiger counters with us at that time because, quite frankly, radiation wasn't really on our radar. That wasn't something that people had really talked about, you know, in these locations. Right. Now it is. Uh, but at that time, we didn't have radiation. We didn't really detect any strange EMF. Uh, unfortunately, you know, while you're trying to do this in the moment, there's only so much equipment and stuff you can monitor. And we were uh, trying to monitor it with FLIR and also uh, uh, videotape the, uh, the teams as they went into this area. Uh, so, yeah, we, we didn't really pick up any strange readings. Uh, that doesn't mean we won't in the future, though. Now, did this have any other strange effects on the, the operators that experience this? No, no. I mean, they, you know, they weren't nauseous. They weren't disoriented. They just remember it being cold. And they remember uh, it being very, very dark. But other than that, no, we, we didn't detect any kind of. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it had to have been some kind of portal or, 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 you know, or, you know, something, a wormhole or something. I have no idea how to describe what I saw, you know. Yeah, it was, uh, that, that's, you know, I'm going to use the term portal or vortex because that's a, that's a handy label. But reality was different for that period of yeah. time and that geographical location. Reality was a little bit different. Now, if, if uh, the audience is interested in seeing this, is your presentation available for download from the Laughlin website? I do not know if uh, Bob has put it on the Laughlin website. I think he has the DVDs available. Okay. Uh, 
I think he has those, and he also has the DVDs available of the High Strangeness panel, which I thought turned out pretty good, too. That was excellent as well, yes. Yeah, guys, if you want to to see this presentation, uh, you should be able to get it from the Laughlin uh, UFO website. Definitely worth checking out. Um, Now, so, I mean, that is an extraordinary event. Um, What were you thinking after that? Did you think that there were any danger in continuing to kind of explore the, this phenomenon, especially when, you know, you have members of a team disappearing and then reappearing somewhere else. Yeah. Great point. We, uh, we all got back and we did a really quick, uh, tactical after action report right there in the field, got together. We talked about it and tried to decide what our next step should be for the evening. There was one group of people that said, you know, we need to stay out here. We need to continue to investigate. We've got these, uh, two sightings of these entities. We've got portals, you know, we've got all this crap going on. You know, we need to really seize this opportunity. Another uh, group of folks said, you know, this has been phenomenal. We need to take our data, get back to the uh, base camp, do a, de- a, a video debrief, film the debrief, get this on record, and pull the uh, SD cards out of our equipment and get it sealed up in some uh, Mylar bags and stuff so it won't be erased, you know, like the, uh, the GPS was the previous time. Uh, I had to make a decision. So I just made a command decision. We're going to wrap up and head back to base camp. Well, something was waiting for me back at base camp that was very, very odd. The strange businesswoman of the forest, which is a totally other weird story for that evening. Now, is this the the woman in black? Yes. Yes, yes. Uh, Yeah, I'd love to hear to for the audience to hear about this one. While we were uh, quickly, you know, packing up our stuff, getting ready to come back, my uh, base camp operator, Glenn, said, Trey, you know, are you, are you coming back? Uh, are you all coming back to base camp? And I said, yes, we're, we're packing up. We're in, we're in route. He said, good. You know, somebody here needs to talk to you. And I said, well, you know, I'll, I'll talk to you when I get, get, I get back. And he said, no, no, it's not me. It's somebody else. So, you know, I was perplexed. Who, who else would be there? This is 1030, you know, at night in the middle of nowhere, in the forest, during the wintertime. Who in the heck would be in our base camp? So I got back, and as I walk up, much to my surprise, there was a businesswoman waiting for me, wearing loafers, slacks, a blouse, and a blazer. And this businesswoman made a beeline to me because uh, Glenn had told her that I was uh, you know, in charge. And she said, you need to drop what you're doing and follow me down this deserted county road a few miles from here. At the end of this county road, there's a, a barn or an old house, and it's inhabited by monkey bears. Now, I know what a gummy bear is, but I don't know what a monkey bear is. I, you know, I don't I have no idea. Is it chocolate? You know, what, what flavor is a monkey bear? <laughs> I, guess, right. I, guess, I, guess, I guess bear flavored, how, whatever that is. And so, you, you know... I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask you, Chris, if, if, if you're out in the woods and a strange businesswoman walks up to you and says, Chris, follow me to this, this bizarre structure out in the middle of nowhere to see monkey bears. What's your answer going to be? Uh, I, I might ask her what she's on and I don't think, I'm not sure if I'd <laughs> want it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was our answer is, you know, heck no. Because right. We didn't right. Know, you know, you know, is this woman trying to set us up to rob us? You know, we, we carry a bunch of, uh, you know, we're armed when we go out, but we also carry a bunch of expensive equipment. And uh, so she was just really insistent about us dropping what we were doing, almost as though she was 
trying to distract us, keep us from doing our debrief, keep us from uh, pulling the SD cards out of our equipment and getting it away, you know, away from this location and secure. Uh, and so she uh, started you know, continuing trying to make small talk. And she asked me what university I went to. And I said, well, I, you know, I went to the University of West Georgia. And she goes, well, I did too. <laughs> and I said, okay, that's, that's odd. What did you study there? Oh, I, I studied psychology. Okay, that's odd. That's my degree too. And I thought, okay, I got her. I got her. I'm going to ask her to name some of the professors there. I said, so who did you study under? And she started naming professors that I also studied under. So, okay, so what are the odds of a businesswoman being in the forest in the middle of the night, 1030 at night, wearing business attire that went to the same university I did, has the same degree, and has uh, studied under the same professors? Right. Pretty small, I would, I would say. So yeah. she continued on trying to distract us, trying to get us to go off with her to hunt down these mysterious monkey bears. And in the middle of all of this, she stops, looks at us, walks off about 30 yards, still within the, the faint light of our lanterns, pulls her pants down, squats down, and urinates in front of all of us. Okay, so... You know, you start stacking up all of this stuff, and it gets stranger and stranger. Yeah, you can't make this stuff up. No, no, it was uh, it was totally bizarre. And you know, the woman gave us her name, uh, so you know, we recorded that, and we finally got her to go away. Uh, and we finally did our AAR, uh, which is about a forty-minute AAR. And in the book, I have a complete transcript of the uh, the video AAR. And I st thought about contacting this woman. I did do a little research on her, and there was a woman that fit that description, had the same educational background, that was a licensed professional. I'm not going to say what her profession is because I, you know, you know, I, I just want to be cool about it. But she was acting so weird that one of the paramedics on our team that has 30 plus years of dealing with all kinds of crazy paramedic stuff. We also have an ER nurse on our team. They said they have never seen a person act as bizarre as she was acting, as though she was on some of the strangest drugs or right. hallucinogens or whatever. So I had three options. Either A, this licensed professional woman was in the middle of the forest at night, in the middle of nowhere, stumbled across our campsite, and had the absolute worst night of her life, which if it became public, she might lose her license. Option number two, this real woman was being influenced by something else. Option number three, it wasn't this woman at all. It was something mimicking her. So you take all of this in total and in, in, in a lore of high strangeness, who do we have that dress oddly for the occasion, usually in business attire, after a experience of high strangeness, they try to distract or dissuade people from recording or recounting their event. They seem off or odd, and they don't understand how humans interact. Right. And they also don't understand human niceties and manners, like how to say hello, how to shake hands, or the fact that you don't urinate in front of people <laughs> you don't know. Right. What, what do we call what do we call those people? Wait, they're 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 in UFO lore. What are they called? 
They are, and this is a great one because it's a woman in black. We we very rarely hear about the the, the yeah. women in black that that come and visit people, but this uh, this is very interesting. And it's been a while since we've had a good uh, you know story about men in black come and visit people for uh, anomalous events. And uh, this was definitely uh, a winner for me because I've never heard anything like it. And uh, like I said, you can't make anything like that up. So that's really cool. Um, now you did you said you did a little bit of research into this woman and you may have found somebody that could have possibly uh, matched yeah and there's been a uh, an update since even the conference i was contacted by a uh... if you only have a 401k you're not getting the most for retirement wait what add a Robinhood ira on top then they'll boost it by three percent you can do that and if you transfer in any retirement account you get three percent on top of that is there a limit to the match no limit Robinhood gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any ira on the market sign up for Robinhood gold at robinhood.com boost by april 30th subscription fees apply investing involves risk three percent match requires gold for one year from first match must keep ira for five years match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions Robinhood financial llc member sipc a uh, a person in the same field that she's in and this person is current currently resides in istanbul turkey and went to the same university you know i did and uh he contacted me out of the blue uh to discuss the book and all of that and uh he said you know if you know you can trust me to be discreet give me this person's name because you know, I also attended the University of West Georgia and have a degree in psychology, and she might have gone there the same time I did. And I gave her, her him her name, and it was a match. Oh, wow. That and is he very said, And he said that he, uh, with, you know, of course, with my permission, will reach out to her. He said, but what you're describing is not the person I know absolutely is not the person I know that they would never act like that. And he says, I think something was controlling her. You know, that was his take on it. Right, man. So, you know, more to come. Yeah, yeah, definitely more to come. And uh, speaking of more to come, I know that you're, you're constantly working on this. Uh, there, you, we have common researcher friends that are working on this with you. Um, is there anything that um, the general public can look forward to uh, with, you know, any upcoming information about this location, any further information? Uh, yeah, I mean, we are constantly researching this place. And as a matter of fact, we're going out in, in two weeks. We're going back out there. Uh, we hope to have a uh, hope to be able to put a two person team in the meadow itself overnight with some equipment and see what happens. Could be really cool, could be a complete bust, or could be really bad. We don't know yet. Uh, so if we have the personnel that show up, you know, and have the equipment and the experience, we're going to try to put a team out there. But we are going to go back and, and do research here in a couple of weeks. Uh, we have been expanding our uh, area of research out a little bit from the meadow. Uh, we've done some uh, research on areas. One of them was about seven miles away that we had to cross-country hike to get to. Uh, and we have another area that's about four miles away. And uh, we had a, some pretty cool UFO sightings back in February at the uh, at what we call Stevens Lake. Uh, some really cool UFO stuff. So, you know, we're continuously adapting and changing our uh, 
uh, research. I talked with a, a fellow researcher about uh, geomagnetic anomalies. And so he gave me an idea of some things to try. So, you know, we're constantly, uh, we're constantly researching, we're constantly trying new things, and we're continuously trying to nail down uh, what's going on out there. Coming from various disciplines, we've got a bunch of tools in our toolbox. So we use best practices from the paranormal world, the UFO world, uh, the high strangeness world, uh, to try to get to it, get to the bottom of it. Now, I've had um, some of the common researcher friends that we have that research areas like Skinwalker Ranch, Uinta Basin, say that they them themselves have experienced sort of like. Um, spiritual attachments or some kind of attachments from these placements uh, these places that they've been researching they'll go home and have start uh, strange activity start occurring in their homes or uh, somewhere that they they frequent has this happened to you or any of your team members not so much with my other team members that they've told me now i have had one incident where and this sounds kind of minor, but it was a small flashlight that I, I put on the desk, uh, you know, right where I'm sitting right now. It disappeared. And I you know, looked all over for it, thought I dropped it, thought it rolled off the desk. I was packing up my gear for an outing. And then it reappeared exactly where I placed it. But that was about, I mean, that's weird enough. But that was about the only thing that's really, uh, you know, it's happened. Uh, nothing malevolent, you know, nothing you know, too terribly disturbing has, uh, you know, ever attached itself to us. So I guess maybe either, you know, we're lucky or we're doing something maybe a little bit different that, you know. Right. Yeah. That is the one thing that I've noticed um, is kind of different that a lot of these places seem somewhat dangerous. You know, um, some, some places experience frequent animal mutilations, cattle mutilations. I've had uh, some friends get injured out in places like these. Um, some malevolent feelings, feelings of dread or despair come over people. Um, but from what I hear, it's just kind of um, these phenomenal, strange occurrences that don't seem to be harming anyone, right? No, uh, you know, not that we know of. We did have one, one, one of our researchers died, uh, and that was you know, for something we believe was totally unconnected. Right. Uh, we did have one of our researchers last year had to be medevaced. Uh, he started having uh, a very high heart rate, and but he had a medical history of that. So we don't know if it just happened to be coincidental or if being out there triggered it, but he had to be medevaced, spent the night in the hospital. Uh, so, you know, you know, is that causality? You know, I don't know. Causality doesn't always make correlation. Right. Now, we, we've touched on some of the, the major happenings, the portals, uh, the, the black cube, the missing time, the woman in black, um, some of these strange um, beings that you're seeing, uh, UFOs, orbs. Are there any other profound activities that you've witnessed or experienced out there um, that you think is... Uh, of importance that the audience should hear about before we close out tonight? Yeah, there's a couple of things. One of them is uh, as we have started experimenting with uh, something called the Estes method or Estes protocol, which is uh, a, a ghost box kind of thing, we are starting to notice little tiny spikes of radiation. We also had a craft of some sort pass by our base camp one evening. Uh, this was a uh, back uh back in december 
oh, I'm, yeah, back in June of 20, I'm sorry, a, a craft passed by our camp, totally blacked out, you know, couldn't have, could have been a vehicle because it was too dark for vehicles to drive on this, uh, this road. We had a, a pretty significant radiation spike. So there's something going on with radiation. We also had a, a download uh, after we did some CE5 protocols out in the meadow using Stephen Greer's protocol. And the download was a word, Knox Magby, which translated into uh, children of the night goddess using uh, a Latin and uh, Old English. And children of the night goddess or children of the night, what comes to people at night that are small like children, that have big heads like children, right? that are all over the folklore? You know, the grays, you know, Whitley Stryber had one on the front of his book. So, uh, you know, it's just this continuous, uh, you know, layer upon layer of high strangeness. And we're continuously having different kinds of weird stuff happen almost every time we go out. And these places of high strangeness, uh, they kind of solidify that there's a major connection between paranormal and ufology and extraterrestrials. And that's what I really enjoyed about this conference that we just went to. It kind of brought all these fields together, different presenters, uh, contactees, experiencers, scientists from different fields, and brought everybody together to talk about it because I think that's what we need to do more of in this whole, you know, strange community that we're in to get a better understanding of everything, you know, and I love that, that you guys are doing that. Yeah, you're right. I mean, if we go around with blinders on, uh, we're really selling ourselves short. I actually had another paranormal researcher uh, chastise me because I was looking into UFOs. And I said, okay, so if I'm not looking into UFOs, I totally discount that. You know, if I have this experience, I just totally discount it. Right. That seems kind of really stupid to me. And uh, now that this whole uh, field of high strangeness is becoming more mature and we're starting to communicate among the different disciplines, more people are taking that, uh, that more holistic approach, which I think it's a smart way to go about it. Do you think that this um, whole mainstream kind of disclosure that's coming from the media and government and Pentagon is helping with people's image of this whole community in these fields? I think so. You know, it's, uh, if you read the uh, DOD report, it's important to look at what it does say, and it's also important to look at what it doesn't. You know, I'm, I'm a government guy, and I've written many government reports during my career, and they're very pragmatic to a fault. You know, the, the, the researchers that are writing the report are not going to stray outside of their mandate, and they're not going to say anything that they can't back up with empirical data or evidence. So what came out of this report? I think it's pretty ground-shaking. A, these things are real. There are objects that are flying around that are real objects. B, these objects fly in a way that are beyond the capabilities of our technology. And we also think they're beyond the technology of our near peers, mainly China and Russia. And C, uh, we don't know what they are. We don't know what's controlling them. We don't know if they're piloted. We just know they're real. That's ground shaking. That's groundbreaking. That's earth shattering. Uh, you know, I can throw a whole bunch of other, you know, hyperbolic, right. you know, sta- statements yeah. out there, but it's, it's real, you know, and so you have people like me that have been following this for years. I can go, yep, told you so. You know, you were making fun of me, you know, all those years ago, you know, all those folks right. that make fun of the, the you know, the co- conference attendees at Laughlin. Ah, you know. I think a lot of uh, folks in this community are kind of thinking that way right now. <laughs> yeah. 
so you know i think what happens is if you you know kind of you know put on your your, your big boy pants and sit down and you take a, a crucial think about this so if this is real what else is real and i think yeah. i think it's healthy i think it's very good for the community i think it's good for uh people that are researching this i hope that you know our endeavors are taken a bit more seriously i hope that maybe some funding starts rolling our way that has been uh, sadly lacking in the past and i think it's a really a cool time to be in this field I, I agree it's a it's a very fascinating time it's a great time to be alive uh before we close out i'd love to get your final thoughts on any possible um, conclusions or theories about what may be causing these particular areas to be so concentrated with this high strangeness and this energy? That's a good question. Uh, bottom line up front, I have no idea. I can guess, you know, I mean, anybody that tells you they know what's going on, you know, I, you know, take that with a grain of salt. I love that answer. Some, you know, I, ha I have some theories. Uh, one theory is that there are places uh, that have a natural thinness between dimensions or universes. You know, imagine two universes as close together as they can be, and I'm talking about on the, the quantum level, without touching. Because if they touch, you know, you would have a catastrophic event. But right there in that very narrow gap, maybe things can move back and forth. And there's, there's three ways to look at this. Way number one, these are natural occurrences. You know, these are a manifestation of maybe plasma energy and gravity that creates these portals or wormholes or whatever. And whatever or whomever are seizing this natural occurrence, like we used to seize the wind with sailing ships. That's a natural occurrence. Current, we would use that to our ends to move from point A to point B. Maybe they're uh, using this natural occurrence to move from point A to point B. Number two, Maybe these natural occurrences can be stabilized and harnessed. They would involve high amounts of energy to do this. Maybe that's what we're picking up on our uh, Geiger counters is as a remnant, a ghost of this image as it, or this energy as it bleeds through. Item number three is these things are completely created artificially, like we create artificial wind with a fan. And that would require tremendous amounts of energy to create and stabilize a portal or wormhole. And those are just guesses. So, you know, what it does is it leaves us with really more questions than answers and makes it all the more interesting to get out there and continue to investigate. Definitely. So, Trey, thank you so much for coming on tonight. Fantastic information. Uh, guys, go check out his presentation. And before you go, let everyone know where they can find out more about you, your books, website, social media, anything like that. Uh, yeah. If, if you look on the, uh, the back of uh, any uh, cereal box of high quality, you'll find my picture and action figure. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. uh, the best place to go is uh, the book is The Meadow Project, Exploration into the South Skinwalker Ranch. It's on Amazon. The easiest thing to do is just to search my name, Trey Hudson, T-R-E-Y-H-U-D-S-O-N. We've got it on hardback, paperback, audiobook and ebook so it's in all of the various formats it's you know it's a, it's really reasonably priced especially in the ebook form so i think it's it's worth the entertainment for a few bucks uh best way to contact me or to find out what's going on is go to trey hudson dash author on facebook or my original paranormal group uh 
which also uh, has a, a division that investigates this stuff, is the Oxford Paranormal Society. You can go to our Facebook group and uh, come and hang out there. Awesome. Trey, thank you so much for coming on. And I'd love to co- have you come back on and give us some updates in the future as things progress with your research. Yeah, Chris, happy to do it. Awesome. All right, Trey, well, you have an excellent rest of your evening. And until next time, everyone, have an excellent evening.